Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective. This is Rumble Strip by Erica Heilman. Welcome to the movie. Thank you. There's hand drawings of Marcel on the door. So nice. Somebody's a fan at the theater. It's so funny to be back here. I just used the bathroom that I had to clean a million times. I feel nervous. Why? I don't know. I feel. Yeah, what if you don't like it? That's going to be hard. Okay, so this is the beginning of the movie. Should, should be quiet now. Hello, my name is Marcel. It's not the first time I've done that. My name is Marcel, and I'm partially shell, as you can see on my body, but I also have shoes and um, a face. So I like that about myself, and I like myself, and I have a lot of other great qualities as well. That's perfect. That's my friend Nick Paley, and this is sound from Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which is a movie that Nick wrote with his friends Dean Fleischerkamp and Jenny Slate. Marcel is a one-inch-tall shell with a googly eye and little plastic shoes, and he lives with his grandmother, Connie. The movie's all about Marcel and his human friend trying to find Marcel's long-lost shell family. It's really the best movie I've ever seen that stars a tiny, adorable shell with a can-do attitude. It's also hilarious, and it's charming, and my niece said that she cried the whole way through the movie. Anyway, Nick Paley is from Vermont, and now he lives in Los Angeles, where he writes and directs and edits for TV and film. I met him, or sort of met him, when he sent me a recording of himself singing to include it in a show that I was making. And then we started having occasional very long conversations on the phone about complex interpersonal dynamics for some reason. Anyway, I've always wanted to interview Nick about working in the film industry and how he works with TV and film actors. Recently, he was in Vermont doing research for a new TV series, and it happened that Marcel was playing in Burlington at the same theater where Nick used to clean the bathrooms when he was in high school. So I dragged him to a matinee. And later that day, I made him talk with me for like a million hours about what it's like to work in TV and film. So this show is a bit of both. Welcome. Developing relationships with actors Mm -hmm. seems like an incredibly delicate process. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to describe the trajectory of making um, that relationship? I mean, what emerges from like all these projects when you're working with people is a sort of camp friend quality. So like, because you don't see them often again, you know, you're, there's a day where it was like really intense and you really got to know them and they were really vulnerable and you're not friends exactly. You know, it's sort of a different thing. It's a type of work that requires closeness and trust and openness that then just by nature of how, projects are shot it just ends the summer's over and then you know you go home and you're like wow that you know i made some great friends but then (laughs) you might not go to that camp ever again and (laughs) i think the qualities of a really good director and i'm not including myself in that people i've seen direct they reflect the qualities of someone who is a really good person in a normal day-to-day interaction with people or relationships they're in you can just tell that they know they can be trusted. They're walking in and with the sort of best intentions and openness and trust in the actor being able to do what they 
need to do to make the scene work can just sort of play with everyone. I would have thought that that a, a quality in a in a great director could be the opposite that there's something that some actors would be um compelled by intimidation or by volatility mm. or something. Yeah, I mean I think that is that is what I went into when I got out of film school, I was so afraid to say on a set, I don't know. What do you think? Like that's poison. I thought that was just the worst poison in the ecosystem of a set that you could possibly release that would just identify you as a mark and everybody would just take advantage of you or, or assume that you don't know what you're doing. And I think, uh, the job of the director is to be the most comfortable comfortable with uncertainty and be able to basically keep options open until it's just not plausible anymore so that you can get the maximum amount of curiosity and questions from actors and ideas from people on set um, who are maybe tuned into things that you're not paying attention to and then finally get enough material to go into an edit room and be able to close down certainty, like go towards specificity then. So you're essentially building a, a, a kind of a stable of moments and you're going to pick one. That seems, I mean, there are, there are variations on a theme, right, in a given moment. But how, how disparate might those, um, those scenes be? Oh, so different. I mean, I, 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 that's the other thing is like I have... I started as an editor right out of college and worked on a lot of different directors' work in TV. And the worst thing that a director can do from an editor's perspective is to try to nail a certain moment a certain way. So huh. if you go into a scene with like an idea of how exactly it should be, it's almost guaranteed that that scene will be terrible. Um, because the more you try to sharpen in on something or get an actor to time something perfectly, the more you're killing any possibility that uh, a more interesting moment will arise out of the scene. I think good directors will be understanding of the fact that you should create a sandbox to play in. Like a scene is more of a sandbox rather than like a, I don't know, um, uh, jungle gym, or you know, one of those things that you swing along the bars <laughs> one by one grabbing jungle, each one a jung- oh yeah what the hell are they called monkey, monkey bars. bars monkey bars yeah monkey um, bars. or you know the other thing that it that it isn't is those uh those 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 little beads on wires at the dentist office i you know, don't know that beads. you know it's like a big it's a big blocky thing in the beads oh oh yeah yeah you know it's like you only get one track yes right yeah right and I, as a creative person i would rather be approached with the sandbox than like an abacus you know right. <laughs> that somebody is bringing to set <laughs> because it's like then you're trying to thread the needle and that what art form gets better as you're trying to like yeah thread a needle not i i don't know a single one i mean there are directors who gain a lot of renown and fame doing the same thing over and over and over again stylistically and i think i don't gravitate towards those people because there's no surprise they they don't even seem to be surprising themselves they're insisting on a certain um 
a set of behaviors from the actors or that they're stylistically consistent or uh, too consistent? Both. I mean, I think you can tell, or I can certainly tell, when an actor has been told to say something in a very exact way at a very exact location in the scene with a certain type of body posture. A lot of actors are incredible in that they can do that and still make it feel lived in and specific and real. But it's, uh, it's, you're really missing out on them. You know, you're really not totally using who they are to really, like, surprise yourself. Ideally, you, that's what you're doing as a writer or director or, or really any creative person. You're, you're sort of showing up and hoping that something you've set up can surprise you so that you feel like this is more than the sum of its parts. Like I can create a shot list and storyboard and rehearse with the actors and we've got the script and then we go to shoot it. And if it's all really easy and it all just works according to the plan, there's sort of a sad feeling like it, (laughs) you know, like it's sort of like, well, yeah, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then there and then you leave and be like, "Oh, well, there might have been much better stuff that we just missed because we were so focused on the plan." So it has to be an adventure. How there has to be I mean, you're, you know, you got to get on the boat and go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and often the constraints of like there's so many like real world just banal constraints around filmmaking in terms of location in terms of how much time you have time is just so crazy tight always no matter how you plan it and so those things actually often lead to really interesting creative surprises because you have to do something in one minute when you thought you had 25 minutes and so how do you condense four shots into one shot and make it feel cool and being forced to figure that out and having a collaboration with the cinematographer and the actors and talking about that together and then doing it really quickly feels scary because you're really having to rely on your just instincts. You can't, you don't really have time to vet stuff where as when you're storyboarding and shot listing, you can feel like a scientist and being like, okay, this like clicks here and that checks (laughs) this box. But then when you get on set and you have to narrow it down to like one shot instead of five, the, I think that's when you really do the best, most interesting work. But to design your process around that panic, I can't do. I'm like such a planner and so need that plan so that you can throw it out. Do some people do some people sort of build in that panic or that that uncertainty? Yeah, oh definitely. And I think like that if you can tolerate the level of risk, <laughs> uh then that's great. Um Dean Fleischerkamp, who also directed Marcel the Shell, the movie that I wrote on. We, I'm like an over-preparer, and he likes to prepare, but he's, I think he's a bit more comfortable just trying it and, and like having, like, you know, having shot lists and storyboards, but not to the degree that I like to do it in a, <laughs> in a some might say, medically intense <laughs> manner. <laughs> um, uh, there's been so many times when I've been, we've been preparing for something, and he'll just be like, you know what, dog? <laughs> I gotta go. Like, I, I, I can't. And I totally understand that. He, he, he has got to go. I cannot have him here with Connie like this. It's not that I don't like Arthur. Stop, Dean. I'm not kidding. Stop that. 
Who's, whose dog is that? That's a trained Hollywood dog. Are you serious? Probably the highest paid person on this movie. So you're editing a film, maybe, yeah. and it's not a film you directed, but you get mm-hmm. this, you know, insanely long tape that you have to work through. And yeah. you're looking at one scene and you've got like, I don't know, eight takes. Mm-hmm. What is, can you, is there a, a yeah. story that gets at what you're describing in terms of the range of acting uh, shine that can happen in a given moment? There is this one moment in an episode of Broad City I directed where it's a one-shot thing that is supposedly being filmed on an iPhone walking down 34th Street in New York. And we had so little time to do it. And there was this one moment where an extra was set up to walk behind Abby. And as Abby says something about <laughs> pedophiles, I don't know what it is, the, the actress is supposed to turn and just like look at her. And they, we did it a few times and it just feels like sometimes no matter how good the assistant director is or how good the team is or how good the cinematographer is, like it's just like herding cats. It's just, everybody's just on a different wavelength and we did it three times and we only had like a minute to do it once more. And on the last one, Abby said the line at the perfect spot, the camera was right in the right spot facing her, the extra looked back at exactly the right moment so the camera could catch the reaction shot that made the joke work and we somebody said or the or I said I said cut <laughs> somebody said cut I said cut and just like jumped into the air and like cheered it felt so integrated into a unit that was like all working together it's really interesting to shoot on location for that reason because it's almost like you're having a it's almost like you're having like an intimate family dinner out on the street or something and you've just like just shared some deep secrets and then around you like life is passing by so you get you get to sort of see something that's beautiful that happened for your group in the context of the world and sort of that context makes it both puts it in context for like oh this is not important to everybody but also then maybe hints at the fact that those things are happening around you all the time and you don't even know about it. Um, and so when you're, and when you're walking down the street shooting this shot, mm-hmm. um, how many people are you? Um, we're probably eight or nine. Oh it was a pretty God. small, I mean, that's pretty small, but it was still, yeah, it just, it feels like um, when it's not working, when something is not working, you have a crew with you and you're out in the world shooting, it feels like, you know, one of those... Um, dragon puppets that you see in parades where the everyone's like moving in sequence it just feels like eight of those people are having their lunch <laughs> while, while the rest of her trying to dance or like somebody's on their phone at the tail and just like trailing off in the opposite direction and when it works it it looks like a dragon dancing and it's like unbelievable and very uniting you want to do the mm-hmm. sure
the things that people don't um, think about but would might make watching anything more interesting is you know beyond the entertainment value of watching a great show or a great movie when you understand the insanity of how much is going on how many roots to six to us to a fresh moment all of those different yeah. people are taking at the same time including with you know a cinematographer and a, a cameraman and a director and that those yeah. that you're watching essentially yeah. a happening all the time yeah so i like get excited i get goosebumps listening to you talk about it back because it's it is just amazing how much how dense it is if you really think about it and how light and alive it feels that that combination is really special we feel that it's somehow more manufactured or less authentic when it's film or television but in fact it's just a long chain of trying to attempt those fresh moments as a whole group with many 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 more people because there are all those you know ancillary you know there's the boom yeah yeah that's right and that's um if there's a loss in how people understand or a sort of sadness in, in how people watch tv or film it's that they it's hard to communicate the amount of people that are working together to make the thing look and feel as good as it does. But the world that you live in is incredibly competitive. The roles are built to be invisible, right? There are vast numbers of people required to make something successfully. Right. And the vast majority of those involved, we will never hear about. Yeah. Um, And I wonder what, how the people manage that in Hollywood. Yeah, I don't think it's managed very well often. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's hard to offer vulnerable artistic work and then have it attributed to someone else. And that must happen all the time. Absolutely, it does. And to, I think to stay sane with the who gets credit for what, you have to feel like that still has a lot of value to the person, even if they don't know that you did it. I mean, what you want, what you want is that is. I mean, my sense is that what you want is the is the moment on Thirty Fourth Street when the extra turns around at the right moment. Like right. that's when when you are inside it is what you're doing it for. Yeah. And those are all, the, and yeah. that's the hard that's hard work. But you know, we think that we we want as a birthday party, but really we just want to do work. <laughs> uh yeah yeah i mean i think it, the, if you're using the birthday party as a metaphor i think we i want a birthday party but what i actually want is one meaningful minute of conversation with my close friend right and right. the birthday party is the sort of way to articulate it it's like i want the balloons and i want the cake <laughs> uh just like people are like i want my assistant director credit uh, but actually what they're saying is like, I want to be connected. That's it. I like the way sparkling earrings lay Against your skin so brown And I want to sleep with you in the desert tonight With a million stars How does, how does what you do sort of impact the way that you see the world from, 
from, you know, minute to minute when you're walking down the street or just day to day? How does it impact the way that you experience the world? Yeah, I I don't know if this is specific to filmmaking, but I think any type of creative work gives you an imperative, an authority to value the things that you notice. So the way your partner gets shy or the way that your dog behaves when you're feeding him, you know, just little things that feel like, oh, I, I noticed that and it's valuable to me for a reason I can't really place. Um, 99.9% of the things I feel like I notice and care about never go into the work and it absolutely enriches my experience of just an appreciation of people and the world because it gives me sort of a camera, you know, it gives me some sort of reason to look and I think that is the great gift of having a creative career. Did you like it? I mean, it's, I uh, it's sublime. Oh, thanks. I like the way sparkling earrings lay. That was Nick Paley. I'll put some links to his work on my website, which is rumblestripvermont.com. You just go to it and then click on the show page. Nick is working on a new TV series called Phony about a kid in high school in Vermont. And I, I can't really do it justice by describing what it's about, except that I know it's going to be really good and there's a beaver in it. In the show, you've also heard Jenny Slate and Dean Fleischer-Camp, the creators of Marcel the Shell, and also the main voices in the movie. It's really brilliant, and I recommend you go watch it if you haven't already. Thank you, Marlo Mack and Bianca Gaver, for your help on this show. I also really want to thank all of you out there who donate to the show monthly. I'm grateful for you every month, and I really don't say that enough. Rumblestrip is a proud member of Hub and Spoke, a nonprofit collective of podcasts made by excellent and really nice people in the audio business. One of the shows is called Soonish, and the host is a technology journalist, uh, Wade Rausch, who also moonlights once in a while as a science fiction editor. His most recent episode of Soonish is all about a sci-fi collection he just co-edited called Tasting Light. The book is designed to get young adults interested in sci-fi, and in the episode you hear three of the authors doing live recordings of their stories. You can find the episode at soonishpodcast.org, or you can read about all of our shows at hubspokeaudio.org. I'll be back soon with new shows, whales, farmers, a lot coming up. This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Hallman. Thanks a lot for listening. <laughs>